Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It was, it was a, heck of a heck of a team to be a part of. So um, certainly disappointing finish like this when you... You just believe it's the year. I, I don't think guys really understand the meaning and the impact of you know winning a playoff game for this franchise. Uh, but at the same time, I think we're not in tune to that because we want to win more. Just because one guy says I'm, I want time, all of a sudden they got a great front, and uh, our guys took up the heart. You know we can we can come up with a million and one excuses, but fact of the matter we're not going to do it two weeks ago um i'm sitting right here in this chair and i want to have a broken thumb lying to you guys and uh yeah coming back here and winning this game um in in a big way is is meaningful last two times you know we had success and had a plan to make sure we didn't have that success and that's what they did this may be the best one i've ever been associated with Hey, let me tell you, two things stood out there. Of course, it's not the best win John Harbaugh has been associated with. He won a Super Bowl against his brother. Second, did you hear what Jared Goff said, Chris? I sat here two weeks ago lying to you guys saying that I didn't have a broken thumb when I knew it was broken. File that away, people, because in the future, when folks say things at press conferences and I say they may be full of something other than chocolate and you say, but that's what they said. Not you, Chris, but you yeah, I got were you. like, oh, but that's what they said. Right. They lie all the time. Right. They lie all the time. And with that, we say good morning. It's PFT Live, hour two. We don't lie. Not all the time, at least. <laughs> Just some of the time. We'll let you know when we're telling you a lie. Just trust us that everything is true. I probably need to lie parts. more. So we'll I tell you about like the lie idiot all the time. So maybe I need to do that a little bit. <laughs> well, look, and I understand why they do it in football. There's strategic reasons exactly for right. not telling the truth. The problem is, where do you draw the line? And I think that's what's happened to a lot of people like your guy, John Gruden. Every lie is beneficial in some way. So I'm just going to say whatever I have to say to get me to where I want to be, even if it's not entirely true. Yeah. We strive on being authentic and honest with the audience, because if you don't have that, you don't have anything. But we're, we're not, you know, I can tell you if my thumb's broken because it doesn't matter. Jared Goff isn't going to tell you if his thumb's broken because strategically it matters. All right, here's what matters now. Superlatives, our Monday football season tradition. The awards that we make up, they never get reduced to the form of a trophy. They never get written on a plaque. They never are even reduced to any form of writing, but we have fun doing it, although they do type them into this sheet. I don't know why. For, for, for the like congressional record, I don't know. Anyway, you get the first superlative of today. Well, let's talk about a game that we haven't hit on from Saturday. You know, the, the, the Giddy Up Award to my man, to my boy, Blue, Giddy Up. You know, giddy up, giddy up, what a giddy shot. up, my boy, Blue. What, what a, I think yeah. I got a song for him now. Yeah. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. It's my boy, Blue. Ah, yeah, wee-haw. Because that's what that was the other night. That was just, that was, damn. I mean, the Bills got physically dominated in the football game. They they had no business winning that game. They won that game because of my boy, Blue. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. It's my boy, Blue. I mean, just, it, that's all there was. I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, the plays he made at the end of the half 
Again, there's only like two guys in the sport I think that make those plays. It's Rodgers, it's Mahomes. I mean, just some of the, the plays he made were absolutely phenomenal in the football game. The game was a little concerning as far as if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you know, because that's a hard way to win, a hard way to live. You know, being the lesser team on the field, but letting this one guy overcome a lot of these obstacles. And, of course, they're going to have a challenge this week with the Baltimore Ravens coming into town. But, man, you know, great win. It is, there is something to say. It's a young football team. You get that. You know, now they know what playoff intensity is all about and all of that, all, you know, all together. But that was a lot of Josh Allen on Saturday and a little too much out Josh Allen for, for my liking if you're rooting for the Bills and want them to be a, a real Super Bowl contender. You know, I, you see at the bottom of that graphic, it was the first Bills playoff win since December of 1995. My son and I watched that game, and, and they, they made that comment or showed a graphic like that at the end, and he said, my God, it's the first time they won a playoff game since I've been alive. And Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. a lot of people. Right. I mean, it was 25 years ago. And, and Chris, yeah, I was looking for signs of growth and maturity in Josh Allen as compared to last year in the postseason where he was a little reckless. And you know that that the touchdown pass that was the designed run that went nowhere and he just decided, oh, what the hell, I'm going to throw it to Dawson Knox. Last year, that gets picked off, right? right. Could have been last disaster. year, something right. crazy happens right. there. Right. But this year, it works. That's the difference from Josh Allen of 2019 to Josh Allen of 2020. There's a sense, you know, I, I remember the first game of 2019 when we were in Chicago, Aaron Rodgers had some ugly duckling of a throw to the end zone that was a touchdown. And and I remember we saying at the time, boy, if Mitchell Trubisky had done that, it would have been intercepted. There's a different vibe. There's a different aura. There's a different sense and confidence in Josh Allen this no year. Doubt. And no that, doubt. to me, is the one play that resonates, the difference between last year and this year. And this year, he was enough to overcome the incredible performance by the Colts, 450 total yards of offense and no turnovers, and they still lost the game. Yeah, I mean, that that yeah, that says it. I mean, that that's amazing. Uh, I, again, I, didn't I, I thought I saw a stat this weekend somewhere that it's the first time ever that's happened where a team, 400 yards of total offense, no turnovers, loses a playoff game, right? I mean, that, that is amazing in itself, and I think that tells you how amazing Josh Allen was. You know, again, it's not that the stats blow you away, but it's the timing of the big plays and the big throws. It's every big moment you go, oh, he made a 25-yard laser throw. Unbelievable. Oh, he scrambled and made a big run. I mean, you know, leads the team in rushing, leads the team in throwing, leads the team in playmaking. And to your point, Mike, what you said, I mean, you're, you're spot on. It's the old, like, the game is just, it looks like it's in slow motion for Josh Allen right now. Last year it was probably frantic, and I don't know, but confidence, coaching, you know, some success and everything now, he's seeing like a slow motion movie picture now, and it's clear as can be, and he's just playing uh, amazing football. But, man, they got to play better as a team this week if they want to beat the Ravens. But here's what impressed me more than anything else. When you have been blowing everyone out, winning by double digits or more, yeah. and that snowball has been getting larger and larger, and it's coming so easily to, to do what you want to do and impose your will on the other team and blow them off the field, all of a sudden that bubble gets popped. All of a sudden you find yourself in a game. All of a sudden you may not be the better team on the field that day. To stay focused and resolute and not kind of slump your shoulders and give in or, or get knocked wobbly by a team that that isn't just rolling over for you that's not easy to do either you're right and that's Mike. a mark of maturity in the coaching staff and in the players because other teams that would have stepped into that spot after having it so easy for six or seven weeks right would have potentially slipped into the it's just not our day mindset yeah meltdowns or, or force the issue and make another mistake and compound the game I, I think it's very real, though. You're, you, we've seen a lot of teams through history have these r great runs, November, December, get in the playoffs, get punched in the mouth, and they're like, wait, what? You know, things were all roses and flowers. It was great. What's going on now? We can't – we got to fight for this one? And that did hit the Bills at some point during the game, but they fought through it. They did. And really, it was the drive and – the decision to go for it on fourth down by Frank Reich was the changing point of the game. 
You know, Frank Reich, I love his game planning, his aggressive style of play calling, all those things, but I don't know if he necessarily had his best day managing a football game on Saturday. You know, that 10-7, you know, Phillip Rivers on the road, all of those things, I think I would have just taken the 13-7 lead and tried to go in and be happy, even if Buffalo does score a touchdown. Okay, great, it's 14-13, no big deal, whatever. Uh, but – uh, th that was the turning point of the game, to miss the fourth down, fourth and goal, and then to have Josh Allen go down and score a touchdown on the drive before the half. That was unbelievable that that happened, and that was some swing of momentum right before halftime. And it was such a great play as Michael Pittman Jr. worked his way through the traffic and got open, and it was just off of his fingertips and how different the game could have gone. Yeah. I'm going to stay in that same game. Because this merits some conversation on a day when it's easy to get bogged down with other things. This is the threat level midnight averted award. This is about what would have happened if the Colts had managed to drive down, force overtime and win the game in extra session or win the game in regulation after that play that resulted in not one, not two or three, but four mistakes by officiating. The Zach Pascal, he was down, he got up, he fumbled the ball, the Bills recovered it. Mistake number one, in real time, the officials screwed it up. Pascal was off the ground, the ball came out, it should have been Bills' ball. Mistake number two, they didn't spot in New York, our river on to be precise, the necessity for a booth review in the final two minutes of the game. That's mistake number two because it forced the Bills to say timeout, red flag. No, you can't throw a red flag in that spot. You have to call a timeout. If you don't have a timeout, the game right. just keeps going. Right. You had to call the timeout and hope that that, that would wake Al Riveron up, all due respect, and get him to review the play. Mistake number three, when they reviewed the play, they got it wrong. They got it wrong, Chris. You know, we joke from time to time that there's a, there's a magic eight ball quality to replay review, especially last year with pass interference. Nobody ever knew what the hell the ruling was going to be from Al Riveron. This was as bad of a replay review ruling as I've ever seen. Zach Pascal's knee was off the ground before, the, before he was touched, and then the ball comes out before he's back on the ground. Clear and obvious, it's clear and obvious. That's mistake number three. And then mistake number four is when they try to clean up the mess afterward and say the Bills won't be charged a timeout because the, boot the replay down review for system replay. was that. No, no, no it didn't happen. because the referee's the one who hears it. Yeah. They didn't. And, then, and here's why the Colts have cause to be upset about it. It's three reasons the Bills should be upset. One reason the Colts should be upset. The Bills shouldn't have gotten their timeout back. The NFL, the official should have said, okay, yeah, the timeout's gone. We screwed up because the Bills used that timeout to adjust their defense. They didn't like the look they had. The Colts could have scored a touchdown. That part of it actually worked out for the league because the last thing they needed on the back end of that decision, that stream of mistakes, was the Colts winning the game. Because if you think Saints fans were a problem two years ago, oh my you take that and multiply it by a 1,000 and that's what you would have gotten from the Buffalo Bills fans. Uh, disaster averted there. I mean, you're right. If Buffalo loses that game or it goes into overtime and they lose and something like that, I mean, that would that's, that's what we would have spent. Everybody on talk radio, any TV show, that's what we would be talking about to start the day. It would be the first 30 minutes on every show. The NFL, there's a problem with the officiating. You know, there's a problem with replay. First off, Listen, it's quite concerning, and listen, the, the, uh, the officiating this weekend was not good in any f f shape, form, whatever you want to talk about. It was a disaster, and the procedural you know, effects and what they did, the amount of times for replays, how many times do we have huddles where I think we're listening to Al Riveron, but we're going to sit here and act like we're having a conversation you know, we're going to go look at a replay of a play where, man, we saw the replay. It's it's incomplete. It, it's incomplete. We don't need to run over to the hood and go, oh, it's incomplete. Like, we know it. It's 100 drunks who are almost blackout drunk. We know it's incomplete. Just say it's incomplete and let's move on. Come on. Hurry up. This is a disaster. But that that has no excuse. I don't understand what went down there. I really don't. And well, the fact that they couldn't see in real time to stop it, that's that's what's concerning. We all saw it and we're like, whoa, that's close. Ooh, let's see, let's see. 
And it, to not have that register and then have McDermott call that timeout, I mean, that to me, that's concerning. I don't know what the hell's going on there. I haven't written this yet because, you know, we had other games we had to deal with. We had our game Saturday night. We had three games yesterday. But th th there's a proposal I'm going to make. Not that they're going to listen to me, but I don't care. Maybe other people who they will listen to will see it and say, hey, I kind of like that. Maybe I'll make that proposal as well. They need to change the rules for challenges in the final two minutes of the half and in overtime where it can't be activated by the coaches. Why not have a standalone red flag you can use in the final two minutes of either half when it's supposed to be automatic, you can still activate it. You can still use it. You either use it in the final two minutes of the first half or the final two minutes of the second half. And then you get a fresh one for overtime. You don't get an extra one. You just have another one. If you used it, if you used your emergency challenge, whatever they want to call it, during regulation, you still get one. If you didn't use it, you still get one in overtime. Just to avoid a situation like this, where maybe Al Riveron or whoever is in that job in the future is asleep at the switch. You got to have break glass in the event of emergency, and you have to give the coach that power. And it's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. Will it be abused at some point? Will you see a coach just go ahead and right. activate the red flag right. late in a game in the hopes that maybe he gets lucky? Sure. But that cost is outweighed by the benefit of avoiding what we almost saw happen on uh, – because uh, hey, here's a well. It it just it it's it it just it, it the system failed, and uh, it should have been a fumble. It should have been Buffalo's ball, and and if the Colts had won the game, yes, that's all anyone would be talking about today, and that's the last thing the NFL would want after six playoff games. Yeah, no, I, that's uh, I, I'm I'm just glad it didn't come to that. I, I really am. I did not want to start off the 2020 playoffs with controversy. And, you know, a, a team winning or something like that that didn't deserve to win because we, we blew, you know, the procedure. That, that is that there's no excuse for that. There really isn't. And Sky Judge is the answer. Sky Judge is the answer. Something's got to be done. You spend the money. You're See, right. Here's the thing. I, I, look, folks, here's the thing we always have to remember. And it's easy to get caught up in Super Duper Wild Card Weekend. It's exciting. Best weekend of the year coming up, although Super Duper Wild Card Weekend, pretty good in comparison to Divisional Weekend because you get six games now. It's still a business. And at the end of the day, they look at budgets, they look at costs, they look at benefit. And someone somewhere in an upper level of management with the league looks at this and says, if we spend all this money to have that sky judge, how much better are the calls going to actually be? Is it worth it to spend the money? Can we tolerate the periodic, oh, well, stuff happens, like that would have been? Oh, well, stuff happens. Is it worth it? Is it going to catch enough mistakes to make it worth the investment, Chris? I think that's why they resist it. Yeah, I, I guess uh, something needs to be done to clean up the game and, and increase the pace through some of these moments. That's the problem. We're having too many like, hey, the fourth quarter was, you know, 20 minutes long, but the last minute and 50 of the fourth quarter was 45 minutes long. Wait, how did that happen? How did the last two minutes of the game take longer than the whole quarter previously than that? That, that to me, has to get cleaned up too. You want young kids on Nickelodeon to stay interested? Well, we can't sit there and just, you know, look at slime while the referees talk at each other for 35 minutes. It, they got to clean it up. It was a bad weekend for the referees all over, almost every game. Um, you ready? Go Next ahead, Whitehouse. Next go one? Ahead. No, no, go ahead. You're up. I don't have any other way to say this than just to, like, um, defense, okay? D, D, defense. D, D, defense. Because I, I don't know. I have nothing creative, and I didn't think about this until right now. But the Rams defense, okay? That's where I want to talk about. I mean, wow. You know, Maybe this is – I wrote this down. The Russinators, that's what they are. The Rams defense, they terminate Russell Wilson almost every time they play him. The Russinators. Uh, the Rams D, what, what can you say about that performance? I mean, they're, they're showing, they're proving to all of us, franchise quarterback does not matter. You can win with an average quarterback if you build a damn team. And, man, Aaron Donald all over the place. I know he gets hurt. Darius Williams with the pick six off the screen. But look at these numbers. When do you see 11 for 27 from Russell Wilson? 11 for 27? Holy crap. 
I mean, you never see that. 174 pass yards? They couldn't do diddly squat in that football game. They were totally dominated by the Rams physically, schematically, emotionally, everything about it. And I just got to give McVay a lot of credit. Runs the ball, manages the game, doesn't care. So what? It's the ugliest game of the weekend. Doesn't matter. We're going to do whatever we got to do to win the game. And just the energy of that defense, I find it really fun to watch, even though it's not like the most exciting. But Ramsey, Donald, Leonard Floyd, the way they fly around, I, I, I really uh, I enjoy watching them play. They got to worry about Aaron Donald a little bit now. Yeah. He had x-rays negative, but something's going on in that rib cage. I think we saw it last week. He was right. grabbing at his midsection, exited the game to get checked out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're going to need him this weekend when they take on the Green Bay Packers. You know, I I had one that, that dovetails with yours because while we're praising the Rams' defense, we also have to be critical of the Seattle offense. And my award is maybe the Jets were right all along – uh, and it takes me back to when Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator of the Jets and they were pushing him for head coaching jobs because they didn't want to have to fire him. And Brian Schottenheimer is now being quietly pushed for head coaching jobs because the Seahawks would probably rather not fire him. But there were some comments from both Pete Carroll, the head coach, and Russell Wilson, the quarterback, after the game that if you look at them closely and you juxtapose them, they're not real thrilled with the offensive design and play calling, Chris. And that played into what the Russinators were able to do. The Schottenheimer had something to do with Russell Wilson not not playing at the level and the offense not achieving what it needed to achieve. This is the ultimate embarrassment for Russell Wilson. Yeah. To lose at home in the wild card round against John Walford, who was relieved by a broken Jared Goff. Even a non-broken Jared Goff isn't somebody Russell Wilson should be losing to. A broken Jared Goff, he definitely shouldn't be losing to. Well, uh, you know, the the questions about the offense, I, I think, are real. I, they're warranted. I think that's going to be a conversation in Seattle this year. How could it not be? You know, I mean, they, they were a team that went a complete 180 down the stretch and became a defensive football team, and they were all offense early in the year. So that's an issue. You know, listen, this Rams D, they're going to make a lot of offenses look real crappy. There's no doubt about that. But with a talent like Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and some of the other guys on the Seahawks, they shouldn't be making the Seahawks look crap as crappy as they do sometimes when they play the Rams. Not that that consistently, to your point. I think you're you're spot on. The the Seahawks are one of those teams where, listen, I like Brian Schottenheimer and a lot of the things he does on the offensive side of the ball. But it's another one of those where you, there's got to be another idea guy in the building on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe you bring in a pass game coordinator. I do, I've do. i always liked Schottenheimer's run game and the way he approaches that. But the pass game, as you can see, very stagnant. There's not a lot that goes on. It's very basic schematics down the field. You know, the Rams... I don't. Uh, they seemed very comfortable all day, even blitzing Russell Wilson. I don't think they cared. They just thought, we kind of know the routes and how they're going to run them. So what if we have five guys back there instead of six? Or we have five guys back there instead of seven? You know, And that, to me, plays into the fact that they had a feel for that Seahawks and the predictability about what they do in formations and everything like that. So uh, I, they definitely got to go back to the drawing board a little bit on that side of the ball. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's another year gone for Russell Wilson. Another opportunity to add to his legacy evaporated. And, you know, we had the questions early in the season. Will they pivot the offense to suit his skills? They did, and it worked until it didn't. And, uh, you know, now, now I think we're left to ask, is Russell Wilson really in that top three? You'd put the top three right now, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen in, Definitely. in one Definitely. form or fashion. Definitely. Where's Russell Wilson relative to those guys? Yeah, that, that's a, it's a fair question. I still think he's right there. He's not on those three. You know, he didn't play the way those three did, especially the second half of the year. There's no doubt. You're right. You know, I think Russell falls into that next group of guys with Deshaun Watson and everything like that. Deshaun Watson's really right there with those three guys we just mentioned too, really. I think if I really had to make another quarterback list right now, those three guys, Allen Rodgers, Mahomes, Deshaun Watson are going towards the top of the four. With the way they played you know, down the last seven, eight weeks of the year, that was uh, amazing football. 
But, you know, Russell Wilson, I think, is the next guy there still. He's still phenomenal, you know. But I, I do think, you know, what we've talked about is, is real. You know, Russ, great offenses, you kind of just said it right there. You know, it was this great offense early on and everything like that, and then it sputtered out and we never saw it. It never really grew. You know, great offenses always pile on plays. Pile. Hey, we've been doing this play really good. Now we're going to do this play off of that play. It looks the same, but it's just a little different. And now we got to play off of that play that we made just a little different. And, and that's to me where, you know, the really great offenses just continued to build the Rolodex of plays. And I don't see that happen in Seattle. And that's where I go, You need we need some other ideas in there. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm still love Russell Wilson. He's still really damn good. They just got to help him out a little bit more. Hey, and, and let me tell you, if they don't, at some point, he's not going to sign yet another contract extension. At some point, they're going to have the issues in Seattle that they currently have in Houston that we haven't gotten to yet. And maybe we'll get to at some point today. If not today, we'll get to it tomorrow because this Deshaun Watson stuff that bubbled up last week out of the blue is very, yeah. very, very real. Do you have anything else in your bag of superlatives today? I do. I got another one. I just, you know, just a smidgen, just a little bit. That's all we need. And when I say that, just a smidgen, just a little bit, I mean, just all we need is just a little Hollywood and a few throws outside the numbers and the Ravens are a different team. And that's what that we, we didn't get to talk about this when we talked about the Ravens Titans game because we talked so much about the Ravens defense and you know we hit Lamar and stopping Derrick Henry and all that stuff. But man, I think one of the underrated aspects of the game, we know Lamar Jackson can run and has three rockets up his butt and can run by everybody. We know that. You know what? And he can throw the football too. He made a early bad interception where the ball came out of his hands, but after that, man. He made a number of big throws in the football game. And, Mike, we saw them throw the ball outside the numbers by the sidelines a little bit, finally making a defense go out there and defend some of that area of the football field. And it's really like they almost they started doing that, and all of a sudden the run game started working. We always talk about you got to make defenses defend the whole field. And that's one aspect that has missed from the Baltimore Ravens. I talked about it a lot on my podcast last week. But I really like – not that it's going to you know, rewrite the record books, but there's an effort to get Hollywood Brown the ball. And there seems like there's an effort or at least an acknowledgement of we got to start stressing that part of the field so not everybody condenses in to stop Lamar and J.K. Dobbins in the run game. I thought that was huge yesterday, just that little bit of that pass game to really help them get over the hump. One more quick one before we take a break, because we still have a lot to get to. But this one is the they should have listened to Bruce award because Bruce Arians, the coach of the Buccaneers, said after Saturday night's win over Washington, he actually hoped Alex Smith would be playing in the game for Washington because he was afraid of Taylor Heineke's mobility. And he said he believes his defensive players, not the veterans, but the younger guys, right. kind of relaxed right. and exhaled when they heard that Alex Smith wasn't going to play. And he was trying to tell them the other guy is going to give you more trouble. And you know what? It makes me wonder, do you incorporate even more Taysom Hill into the Saints offensive game plan next week if that mobility is going to put extra stress on the Tampa defense? But Taylor Heineke had a huge night, 306 passing yards, 46 rushing yards, a couple of touchdowns. He had that great dive to the pylon. Uh, he got injured, went to the locker room, came back, finished the game off. Too much, too, too late, but at the same time, he, he acquitted himself well. He said after the game that he, he thinks he's proven that he belongs in the yes. NFL. We'll see if anyone agrees. But Bruce Arians definitely agreed. He wanted Alex Smith and not Taylor Heineke on Saturday night. Well, I get that. You know, you, you also you know Alex Smith, you kind of know where the ball is going to go. You know, you play a, a guy like a Heineke who's got a pretty good arm, as we saw too. He's probably, you know, afraid of like, oh, man, you know, they might, they might dial up some plays that we not really prepared for with the Alex Smith offense with Heineke because they know he's got a little bit more of an aggressive skill set when it comes to throwing the ball that way. But that was unreal. I mean, that was I don't even know, I don't even know how to like really quantify that or talk about that. That was like a movie type of crap. It was like, hey, we picked a guy off the street and in the biggest game of the year, what? He hasn't done diddly squat all season, but he's gonna be the best player. On wild card, you know, super wild card Saturday night. 
I mean, just amazing some of the plays he was, you know, making. I don't know how to say it. And, you know, it, it, it really, it, I know they lost, but that was the star of the show. You know, I never felt like they were going to win the game, but you just kept going, holy cow, whoa, this is still a game. They're hanging in there. What a play. I mean, it was amazing. And I, I, to, to add on to that, a little concerning with the Bucks defense. I'm sure that, like, emotional aspect that you mentioned is real, but the one thing you see with Tampa the last few weeks, if you can pick up their blitz packages – Man, you can gash them in the pass game, and that's going to be scary this week against the Saints because there's some holes in that Tampa secondary. If you don't know much about who Taylor Heineke is or what he looks like or sounds like, you can see and hear his interview with Peter King on the Peter King podcast available now. And, Chris, I had to stop myself a couple of times this weekend because when you're watching a playoff game, there's that inclination – when the underdog is performing well to start getting behind the underdog at the expense of the postseason field. I know, I know. Chaos is fun until you're picking up the pieces of an upset and the team that had no business winning advances to walk into a buzzsaw the following weekend. Yeah, I don't I want was it. doing it with the Colts. Like, hey, oh, this is interesting. Oh, right, my God, right. if the Colts knock out the Bills and – that the two seed, the first ever two versus seven seed game, the seven seed wins. Are you kidding me? No, we want the Bills next week. Sorry, Colts, but for the standpoint of exciting games, we want the Bills. Washington, oh, could you, oh, oh, Tampa Bay may be done. Tommy, one and done with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here goes Washington. And then Washington goes to. Green Bay, not Green Bay. Where would they have gone? They would have gone Washington to Washington. Would have gone uh, Green wherever. Bay. You're Doesn't right. Matter. No. Okay. Washington. Washington goes to Green. Oh yeah. no, no, no. No, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't. Have. They would have gone to New Orleans. You're right. Either way, they wouldn't have gone past the divisional right. round. It would have been done. Cinderella's slipper would have been shattered the following week. It's not worth it. So that's the that's the reality. That's uh, the uh, agreed. I, we we you know we got the best eight teams. We do. You know, did I did I think that Cleveland was the best eight teams, you know, last week? No. I mean, really, I, we should have saw the writing on the wall there. You know, like we said in the first de- segment, the Steelers were the third best team in the AFC North. We all fell in the trap. Like me, you know, all of us. It's just, oh, they're in the playoffs. It's the Browns. They'll f- win the football game. It's just stupid of all of us to fall in that trap. It really was. We got fooled by one half of football to think like, oh, they righted the ship. Everything's good. You know, shame on us to go. That's just disrespectful of the game to think one half is going to erase, you know, 15 other bad halves. That, that, there's no way. You know, and then the Rams, Seahawks, listen, that was a close game. We know it either way, but obviously the Rams are a better team. There's no way to say it. And, man, we got some matchups. You know, the number one scoring offense in Green Bay versus the number one scoring defense and Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald versus Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. I can't wait for next weekend. Hey, th- this last weekend was super, but what's better than super? Because I feel like this weekend's going to beat that. The What's phenomenal, g- legendary, great. I, th- this is great divisional weekend. Let's start calling it that right now. <laughs> we don't need to add any more terms because super wild card weekend will always be super. It will always be six standalone games moving forward until it's eight if they expand the playoff field. What we're going to do is take a break, though, because one weekend to the coaching carousel, there have been no head coaching hires. We'll give you the best information that we currently have about the, the vacancies and whether or not there may be a seventh vacancy on the horizon. More PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, six vacancies still exist. No coaches hired yet. Urban Meyer gets the Jaguars job if he wants it, Chris. That's been out there for so long. The Jaguars have done nothing to push back. They met with him on Friday. He's calling around to get staff lined up, general manager candidates, et cetera. The question is, does he want it? The other question is, do they want to give him the big mamu? that he's looking for. Of course, that doesn't get discussed all that openly, but that's part of it as well. There could be a seventh vacancy. ESPN reported yesterday that Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, still may fire Doug Peterson, who took the team to the playoffs three straight years and won a Super Bowl. But what are you doing for me right now? It's not what have you done for me lately. What are you doing for me right now? You're not winning and you don't have a vision for the team. And I confirmed all of this yesterday. Eagles officially have no comment, but I confirmed all of it. The conversations continue, Chris. And if... Jeffrey Lurie doesn't like what he hears from Doug Peterson about his vision for the team. There will be seven vacancies. And uh, then the question becomes, does one of these other teams say, hey, Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning coach, I'm going to snatch him up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he would definitely be in play if he does get on the market here. You know, it's crazy that we're having this conversation, but there's obviously something really wrong there in Philadelphia. There really is. I mean, because you're right. Listen, I don't think Jeffrey Lurie is a guy that's just like, you know, off the hinge owner who's going to just do crazy crap. He doesn't come off that way. He's never been like that or shown me the evidence of that since he's owned the Philadelphia Eagles. So there must be something there. And, you know, listen, Mike, you know, I know people around the NFL too. Yeah. From what I've been told, he is not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination that it's still very much on the table that he could be fired. And yeah, there is, uh, again, I don't know what exactly it is. But there is obviously a concern with Doug Peterson and whether it's the vision for his team, the way he handled that situation towards the end of the year, either way, something's not lining up to where they're thinking about making a change. And I think what has to make it so distressing for Jeffrey Lurie is you are coming off of a period of time where you thought you had it all figured out and you wouldn't have to worry about finding a new coach thinking about finding a new general manager, thinking about finding a new anything for years to come. Here we are. We are reaching potential Patriot level. We'll be relevant. We'll contend. We'll be in the playoffs. And maybe we'll have another Super Bowl or two or three. Who knows? To have it disintegrate that fast to the point where your faith is shaken in things that you thought were settled, I think that's what makes it even harder. And credit to Jeffrey Lurie for being willing to look at this with a critical eye and ask tough questions and not just say, maybe it was an aberration, we'll give it one more spin and see what happens. Maybe there's no need for one more spin. Maybe the magic is gone. And uh, look, here's the difference, Chris. If Mike Tomlin would get fired today by the Steelers, he'd have a job with someone else tomorrow. If Doug Peterson gets fired today by the Eagles, he doesn't have a job tomorrow. And he may not get one of the other ones. I think they at least at a minimum will have to do their work to understand exactly what in the hell happened in Philadelphia this year to get the Eagles to fire him. I I think you're right. There's no doubt. You know, and and, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, I think you're right. Mike Tomlin gets fired. There, people are going to break down doors to get him in the in the room to be the head coach. Doug Peterson, you know, yes, there's going to be certainly interest in everything that way. But, you know, he's supposed to be an offensive genius and those type of things. The offense has not been anything special the last few years. That's certainly not going to help him. And then, you know, when there's just just this much talk, you know, like the old phrase, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's just there's got to be something there. You're right. That's going to make teams hesitate. Call. What's going on? Let me investigate this. What happened here? And you know, I, I, I because I just I don't think Howie Roseman or or Jeffrey Lurie are the type of guy that want to do this. I, I don't think they are. I don't think that that is. I think there's obviously an issue here that's that's concerning to them. No smoke or fire as it relates to Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. We entered the process assuming that his ship was going to come in 
this time around, that someone would hire him. And there's a sense now he is going to get passed over again. He's privately saying he's going to stay in Kansas City and wait for the best possible job to come open, the perfect job to come open. Meanwhile, there's a logjam that's being created because Andy Reid wants to pivot to Mike Kafka as offensive coordinator. You know, they went from Doug Peterson, he gets a head coaching job. Matt Nagy, he gets a head coaching job. Eric Bannemi, he stalled in, in his spot for three years, Chris, and it may be four years. I, I mean, that would be the shock of the the coaching hire cycle. The fact if Eric Bieniemy, the guy who's been the right-hand man or right there involved in orchestrating the best offense we've seen in football the last three years, uh, uh, that would, I, I think, shine a light on this whole situation again to another degree. You know, I, I don't even understand how that happens at this point with everybody trying to find the young coordinator QB guru. We have a guy with the top offense in football who helped – you know, bring along the best quarterback in the game right now, the biggest star in our game, and he's not, not – it doesn't even sound like he's going to get offered. Like, I mean, there's just nothing. It's, there's nothing even close. It doesn't even sound like, oh, it's between Biennemi and this guy or we really want to hire – like, there's none of those rumors. You talk to anybody, I don't hear any of that. So uh, that's just uh, – that's amazing to me. I'm, I'm shocked by that. Five teams interviewed him. The Texans didn't, and the fact that they didn't has contributed to this rank. How does Sean that Mark happen? Again. Listen, how do you not interview him just to tell your quarterback, hey, we interviewed the guy, the one guy you told us to do? How does that happen? That is like crazy stupid. We're we're, going to put a pin in that. Yes. But the easy answer to your question, two words, Jack and Easterby. All right, let's take a break. When we return, wild card heroes draft. No, wait, super wild card heroes draft. (laughs) We'll do that next here on Pro Football Talk. All right, look at this. Some older quarterbacks in the division around 43 Whoa. and 41. Tom Brady and Drew Brees, they play each other this weekend. Aaron Rodgers at 37. Obviously, he will take on Jared Goff at 26. And then it's all whippersnappers beyond that. A wide range, a 19-year window from 43 down to 24 in the divisional round of the playoffs. All right, wild card heroes time. Super wild card, super duper wild card heroes. Chris, who was the last team to beat the Seahawks in a playoff game in Seattle, not including Saturday L.A. Rams? Right, okay. So I know it didn't happen in the Russell Wilson era. I remember that correctly. I feel like I, I, the only game I can remember, I, I think, is a, the Rams. I think the Rams are the last team to beat the Seattle Seahawks there in a playoff game. Do we have the horn or the wall wall? Uh, bam, bam, booyah! Yeah, uh, yeah. I was that the game in Matt Casey year and Mayor. Is that the game where like Hasselback had the ball on the four yard line and tried to throw it in the end zone and they dropped it? Right. I, I kind of remember that. Two thousand four, maybe three. So, so all right. Hey, Mike. I'm a historian. Just so you know, historian. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, I mean, the draft is wild card heroes, right? And what yes. better super of a hero with a guy that's got a new theme song? I mean, come on. It's pretty good. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, Josh Allen. Giddy up, giddy up. He's coming for you. Woo-ha, Josh Allen. Yes. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, uh, to me, th- he's the only – listen, I know there was a lot of great individual performances – but his individual performance was the most to sway a single football game out of all six games we saw this weekend, in my opinion. You know, just, again, the Colts dominated the time of possession. They ran the ball. You know, almost 20 more plays on the offensive side of the ball. Outgained them in yards, third downs, whatever it was. Whatever it was the Colts won statistically. But this guy right here, Josh Allen, a giddy-up, uh, he just makes plays unbelievable. I mean, just one after another in every big moment, he really came through for them to win that football game. So he's going to be my wild card hero. My well, see, I thought you were going the way. I, well, and look, the bad news is I now have to hear your new Josh Allen theme song repeatedly. The good news is the more you do that one, the less I have to hear any of the others. Uh, so it really is. Well, it Big really Ben, is a, Big a, Ben. A win-win. Big Ben's <laughs> dead for the year. <laughs> we won't be hearing that one anytime soon. That's done for the year. <laughs> or maybe for good. All right.
Uh, you don't have a theme song yet for Lamar Jackson. Maybe you should. I know. Because I thought that's where you were going. To me, that was the first choice yeah. because of the history. You. The two straight losses in the postseason. The idea that he can't get it done. The idea that he has a hard time coming from behind. Down 10 nothing, fueled by an ugly interception that he threw. He ended with 136 rushing yards and, and just a different kind of a guy. We saw regular season Lamar Jackson in the postseason. For two straight years, we didn't see regular season Lamar Jackson in the postseason, and now we have. And it was an amazing performance from him and from the Baltimore Ravens to punch through to the next round and to get a shot at their kryptonite. Super wild card win means you get to go face your kryptonite in the Kansas City Chiefs. Although, wait a minute, that's not what happened. They get to go to Buffalo. Bills. Let's Even go. Better. Get your, get your game on. Let's I'm go. I'm still thinking the Steelers <laughs> won. I'm still, I was so excited by the possibility of <laughs> Lamar Jackson facing his kryptonite. He won't have to do it until the next week. And actually, it works out even better, Chris, as I try to cover my mistake. He gets to play the Bills, a team that you have been saying is a horrible matchup yes. for Buffalo. Yes. So, giddy up, giddy up, my butt. Here comes <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Come up with your own damn song for Lamar Jackson, okay? <laughs> I am going to come up with a song for Lamar Jackson. It just has not It has to come to me organically. Josh Allen just came to me last night out of nowhere. I don't even really know why I put it together. Uh, but uh, I'm with you. Like, I wasn't sure who to go with, Lamar or Josh Allen, my first pick, but I think they were obviously the, the first two picks. That was amazing by Lamar Jackson you know the design runs the scramble touchdown we hit on some of the throws that won't be noticed or talked about enough on on you know highlight shows uh awesome awesome job by him all right I think the next one I'm going to go to here uh is Darius Williams number 31 on the Los Angeles Rams had second year player had a really good season for the Rams. He's the other corner opposite Jalen Ramsey, so not everybody knows his name. But damn, is he some good football player. And that pick six he had on the DK Metcalf screen pass, that was the game changer. That was the point where you went, whoa, 10-point lead for this Rams defense the way they look today. Russell's going to have to make magic. I mean, this is not going to be easy for them to overcome that. And a day where Jared Goff, you know, credit to him playing with a broken thumb and all that. No John Wolford. The defense was going to have to win the game. And they looked like they relished the opportunity. I mean, they were all awesome. But Darius Williams with that pick six, that was the moment where you went, wait, the Rams are going from, oh, maybe they can win and hang on and find some way to win this game to, whoa, I think they're going to win. And Russell Wilson and company are in trouble. Next one for me. I could maybe hold this one, but I'm going to go ahead and give him credit as a second-round super wild-card hero. Leonard Fournette of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good for you. What, what, when you consider everything he's gone through this year, when you consider he was available and the Buccaneers signed him and there have been fits and starts and he plays and he doesn't play and he was the third-down receiver and then he wasn't and then he's a healthy scratch and – on Saturday night, Ronald Jones suffered a quad injury during pregame warmups. Leonard Fournette gets thrust into the starting role. He has 19 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. And the key is he gave the Buccaneers offense the balance that it needed to avoid doing those things that have been problematic for Tampa Bay all year long where they spread out the receivers and, and it just doesn't click. It doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. Bunch it together, run the ball, set up play action, gain some yardage, be more methodical. And Fournette, with short notice, stepped in as the top guy and got it done for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you got to give him some credit because by next week, if Jones is fine, he's going to go back to being a role player again. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. But it was, it was, it was a great performance. He runs so hard. You could see, I mean, when he's healthy and going, he's still a force. He is one of those guys where it's like, oh, there's nothing there. But he ran up through the hole so hard, he got three yards and pushed the pile forward. Uh, and, and, again, they're another team. Like, if they just run just a little, just a run to keep the defense honest, you know, like you said, that's where just Brady and the play-action pass are, are off the charts. Um, Here's what else is great. Yeah. He's still wearing his LSU shoulder pads. I know. I see that. Isn't that, that funny to see yeah. the, you know, the yellow it's and great. purple hanging out of the yep. – I know. It, it is crazy. Well, that's football players. It's, it's good luck. So they don't, he doesn't want to change it. Um, my next one, I think I'm going to go to the big boys, the big boys, 
Big boys for the Baltimore Ravens, Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams. I'm going to give them a little tag team, okay, Mike? I'm cheating. Or I guess we said it's heroes, so it's not you know, really the Ravens defense. But if you name me, like, name guys, Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, holy crap, those four. You can't win that game if you don't have those four. Those two being able to lock down those receivers, you know, down the field. But really – the first time around, the Ravens lost to the Titans. They didn't have Brandon Williams or Calais Campbell. It just shows you when you got some big, bad Jimmys and Joes like those guys, you know, I don't care what your X's and O's are. They're going to have issues, and they were the big difference in that football game. All right, for me, Alvin Kamara coming off the couch Ooh. literally with 99 rushing yards after he hadn't played in 16 days. As we said last week, he's not going to forget how to play football. But, you know, the guy was on the COVID-19 reserve list. He he was positive for the virus. He wasn't able to practice, showed up Sunday, good to go, got it done for the Saints. He'll be even better when he has a full week to prepare yeah. with Tom Brady and company coming to town. What a game that's going to be. Whoa. The Saints have beaten the Buccaneers twice. Here comes Tom Brady again. No one's ever beaten him three times in a season, and Drew Brees has a chance to do it in what could be Drew Brees' last game if the Buccaneers win. Just plenty of great storylines, and again, the combined age of 84 for the two quarterbacks, although Brees may be it may be 85 by then. I think Bree's birthday is coming up in the next few days. He'll be 85. It'll be a. He won't be 85. He'll be 42. That'll be impressive. So the combined age will 85 be 85 year old quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Let's. That would be impressive. Let's take a break. We'll be back right after this. On Thursday, assuming the president is still in office by then, and and there's a chance he won't be. The Presidential Medal of Freedom is going to be given to Patriots coach Bill Belichick. My understanding is this is an offer that was extended before the events of last Wednesday. But I'd like to think the events of last Wednesday may have caused a recalculation as it relates to Belichick's willingness to accept it, Chris. For now, I'll say this. There will be blowback. There will be criticism and this could get very, very ugly for Bill Belichick because there are going to be some loud voices saying that he should not go through with it. Well, yeah. I mean, really, I'd be more concerned about just the, the viewpoint of players in the league. Listen, no player is going to like that at all. It's going to, They're going to look at Bill Belichick in a whole different light if he's involved in that. And that's what I would be more concerned about if I was Bill. Something we'll undoubtedly be talking about as the week unfolds. For now, we'll say goodbye and see you on Tuesday. Thanks for some of your time. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.